This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, and this is The Full Story. In 2020, the High Court of Australia was asked to consider an unusual question. Can Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people be deported if they aren't a citizen? People have often heard of visa cancellations and booting people to New Zealand if the government thinks they're a bad character. But people raise their eyebrows when you talk about deporting Aboriginal people. How is it possible to be Aboriginal and not to be an Australian citizen? How is it possible for the government to detain and deport an Aboriginal person? Riding on this question was the fate of more than a dozen First Nations people locked up in immigration detention. In a landmark ruling, the court decided these people cannot be deported. But late last year, the Morrison government launched an appeal. And any day now, that decision could be overturned, leaving Indigenous people in limbo once again. Today, why Aboriginal people could soon be facing deportation from Australia. It's Wednesday, the 22nd of June. So I think to understand this story, you need to understand that Australia has fairly broad powers to deport non-citizens, right, using something called the character test. Can you break down a little bit about how this works, Paul? Yeah, so the Migration Act gives what we would call godlike powers uh, to the immigration minister to, you know, cancel people's visa for a number of reasons, including bad character. Paul Karp is a political reporter at Guardian Australia. Failing the character test is something that can be triggered by committing a crime and being convicted of a crime, but it's even broader than that, where there is a discretion for the minister to do that on the basis of suspecting someone of engaging in criminality or suspecting someone to be associated with a criminal group. Mm. So this means that, you know, for people who have visas that grant them residency uh, in Australia but are not citizens, if they ever come in contact uh, with the court system or, you know, have a conviction uh, or or come across the radar of the Home Affairs Authority, they're vulnerable to having their visa cancelled and then being detained and deported, even if they've made their whole life here, even if they have family and children here who are Australian citizens. Right. And how many of these people that are getting tangled up in our immigration system are Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander? Well, there's a very small class of people who are Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander but are not Australian citizens. And the way that comes about is that if you're born in Australia, you automatically get Australian citizenship. But if you're born overseas uh, with one or both parents being Australian, you have to apply for citizenship. So there are people who are born in New Zealand or Papua New Guinea with one parent or one relative who's Aboriginal and one parent who's Australian and then they might come back to live in Australia and appear to have all the rights of a citizen, can stay as long as they want, don't even think about the consequence of the fact that they're not an Australian citizen until they fall foul of this law. And there are people that are fighting deportation that have lost years of their life in immigration detention, and some of those are First Nations people fighting to stay in their own country. 
And there's at least a dozen or so people whose fate currently hangs in the balance because of this legal question. Hi, Jack. How's it going? Hey, Paul. How you going, mate? I wanted to speak to people who were at risk of being ejected from their own country, who, who were fighting deportation. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah. I spoke to Jack Hobson. He's 54 years old. Oh, that's good. Good. My, my uh, young fellow just set it up for me and, uh, you know, I'm old school. I don't know how to use these things much. He moved from New Zealand to Australia in 1992. I come in, I was 22, so I've been here 30 years. I lost my job in New Zealand in the coal mines, and uh, it was basically a blessing in disguise, really. And I thought, oh, I'll try to come to Australia and, and um, start a new life. He met his partner here. He has five children. Uh, I actually met my wife at the local Footscray uh, pub, having a few beers. And we've had all our kids born here. They're all, they're all Australian citizens. I've got three girls and two boys. So I bought a house here as well. Been in this house for 23 years, I think, yeah. But no, Australia is a beautiful country. And for most of his life, Jack didn't know that he had Aboriginal ancestry. Been here nearly 30 years. Um, I used to go country a lot and um, and people used to come up to me, like, you know, especially Aboriginal brothers and sisters from different states. They go, hey, brother, where are you from? A few years ago, Jack was trying to gain Australian citizenship, but he was knocked back. So... That's how I got caught up in this whole system. And then in 2020, he had his visa cancelled because he was suspected to be of bad character. Can you break that down? Why did he fail this character test that you mentioned as part of the Migration Act? Well, Jack hadn't been charged and he hadn't been convicted of any criminal offence. You know that I have done, done no prison time. I've got no charges at all. And um, I got uh, detained on that law for 714 days. But according to the federal court, the minister reasonably suspected that, quote, Mr Hobson has been or is a member of a group or organisation or has had an association with uh, such an organisation being the Rebels Outlaw Motorcycle Gang. Right, so they thought he was in a bikey gang. Is that what that's saying? Correct. So what happened then when his visa was cancelled? Jack was placed in immigration detention and told he'd be deported. It was looking really bad for him. But just a few days after being detained, Jack was speaking to his brother and he discovered that he had an Aboriginal ancestor named Eleanor Akuman. We're of Aboriginal descent through our great-great-great-grandmother. Yeah, it was handed down through to my Uncle Bob and to my brother, Mm -hmm. that lineage. Right, so Jack is facing deportation when he finds out about his Aboriginal heritage and, and family. What exactly did the law say at the time about deporting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Was that allowed? So shortly before Jack was detained, uh, the High Court actually ruled on this question uh, in a case called Love and Toms. And it was about uh, two men, Daniel Love and Brendan Toms, and both plaintiffs were uh, Aboriginal, uh, but they were born overseas, in one case in Papua New Guinea and in the other in New Zealand. They were both convicted of criminal offences and faced deportation. But they challenged this, arguing in the High Court that essentially you can't deport Aboriginal people, even if they're not citizens. Uh, And in February 2020, in a 4-3 to split decision, which is as close as it can get, uh, the High Court ruled uh, that Aboriginal people with sufficient connection to traditional societies cannot be aliens, which means that they can't be detained and deported. 
So they won, and that was a really important precedent, recognising Aboriginal people couldn't be aliens, and that, you know, could have repercussions outside of the immigration system, but in the the near term, uh, it creates this new obligation on the Commonwealth to make sure that they don't detain and deport Aboriginal non-citizens. When you say sufficient connection to traditional societies, what do you mean? How do Australian courts define Aboriginal identity here? Uh, Well, the court used the three-part definition of Aboriginality uh, that was accepted uh, during the landmark Mabo case about native title. So that three-part definition involves proving First, that you have biological descent, you have a First Nation ancestor. Second, that you self-identify as an Indigenous person. And the third limb of the test is you have to have your identity recognised by a First Nations group with traditional authority. And essentially what the High Court ruled in Love and Toms is that if you meet this test of Aboriginality, it can put Indigenous people beyond the reach of the aliens' power in the Constitution. Mm. So it kind of created a new category when it comes to our laws an Aboriginal non-citizen, non-alien. Right, so does this essentially mean that Aboriginality is recognised as such a powerful connection to this country that it arguably trumps the power of the immigration minister? Is that kind of fair to say, Paul? It means that they're not aliens for the purpose of the constitution and because the immigration minister's powers rely on the alien's power, this puts them beyond the reach of the things that let the minister detain and deport them. What did you think of this case when you first saw it, Paul, this Love and Tom's decision? I watched uh, the hearing in December uh, 2019 for this this case and it, it seemed like it was a bit of a a lost cause. The migration powers are so strong, I always thought they could basically cancel uh, anyone's visa and put anyone who wasn't a a citizen out of the country. And yet here was this case uh, arguing that 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 shouldn't be possible for for Aboriginal people. And, you know, the Chief Justice described it in that hearing as being like a, a third Mabo case. That's how significant she thought it was. And it was sort of this, you know, goosebump, tingle moment that you're watching history being made. So what did this ruling that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander non-citizens cannot be deported mean for people like Jack and other First Nations people who were facing deportation? Well, there were people that had to be let out of immigration detention, like uh, Love and Tom's, the original plaintiff, but it also Mm. then forced the Home Affairs Department to set up a whole process to check people's claims of Aboriginality because they had to check whether uh, they were lawfully holding people in detention and that was now thrown into question if people in detention claimed that they had Aboriginal ancestors. For Jack, he was already challenging his visa cancellation decision. He was already trying to get out of detention. But this gave Jack's legal team a new argument and they began collecting evidence about his Aboriginality. Just trying to get all the paperwork that I need, which is... uh... Hard to, hard to get. But gathering this evidence in the middle of the pandemic and while in detention was incredibly difficult. For me, I've had to take a year and a half to confirm my Aboriginality to uh, immigration. And, um, and a lot of people don't understand you. They, they think you're lying and stuff like that. Eventually, he was able to prove that he was biologically descended from an Aboriginal woman, that he does self-identify and is accepted by Darug elders. And he was released in April this year. My lawyers rang me up and said, Jack, we've got the case one in the court. And I just cried. I, 
rang my brother up straight away and uh, it's an unbelievable feeling, you know. How many people were released? Well, immigration officials said that as of January 2022, there were 11 people who'd been released and I think Jack Hobson makes at least 12. Mm. How long did Jack spend in immigration detention overall? He was in there for 714 days. That was an incredibly difficult experience for him. He said detention was harsh. It's there to break your will and your spirit up. Some people in there had been in prison and said that it was worse than prison. Because of the unknown certainty of of your case, I'm sitting here in limbo, you know? What is his life like on the outside? So even though he's been released, uh, he lives in limbo because he doesn't have a visa and so he doesn't have work rights. It's, it's a very unusual situation. Most people who are released from immigration detention, they'll be released because uh, the decision revoking their visa was overturned. But in his case, he was released without having his visa restored. So we're getting uh, trying to get confirmation from Home Affairs if I can... I'm able to work or what the go is there. It means he's struggling to put food on the table and all of that is just terrible for your mental health. I'm actually lost of what's what I can do next. My family's struggling, mm. so I'm not too sure. I, I've never been in this situation before. Is this a common story that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who were released because of this decision are kind of living in, in limbo? And what is that like for them? Yeah, we've reported on cases of people who uh, have been released by order of the court because they think that the government doesn't have enough evidence uh, that they're not Aboriginal that's protected by this decision. But that doesn't give you then a visa necessarily. You're still asking the minister for a visa. It doesn't give you work rights necessarily. And so there are lots of people who are in this limbo without a clear indication of their legal status to live in Australia. So even when they've been found not to be aliens, they're still treated as if aliens in their own land. Next. Will the High Court overturn the Love and Tom's decision? So, Paul, I imagine after the Love and Tom's case, many people would have thought that this question was settled, that the government can't deport Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander non-citizens. But that's not the case, is it? No, not quite. And mid-last year, another case came along that shook up this whole situation once again, and that's the case of Shane Montgomery. Tell me about Shane Montgomery. Who is he? So Shane Montgomery is a New Zealand citizen. Uh, He's in his 40s and moved to Australia in 1997. And while he was here, he was culturally adopted by the Munanjali people, uh, which is an Aboriginal clan located in Queensland. When you say culturally adopted... What do you mean by that? He grew up in a group home and had made friends with other Aboriginal people in the Munanjali people and then was eventually accepted as family by their family. Montgomery's evidence of his Aboriginality includes that he was initiated on Stradbroke Island, which is about 30 kilometres out of Brisbane. He's recognised by a Munanjali woman, Gamma Merle, and her family as their son, and his feeling of belonging and that his spirit guides and ancestors are Aboriginal. Why is Shane Montgomery significant to this broader question, Paul, and this broader story? So Shane Montgomery was arrested in 2018 for aggravated burglary and because he was not a citizen, after he served his sentence, he was sent to immigration detention and was set to be deported. 
Montgomery tried to fight his deportation using the Love and Toms precedent, so relying on that argument that the government can't deport Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander non-citizens. Right, so he's trying to use this Love and Toms decision to argue that he should not be deported, but his situation is quite different, right? He may not satisfy that first blank of Aboriginality of being biologically descended from an Aboriginal person. Yeah, so Montgomery sought to argue that the category of non-citizen, non-alien should be expanded to include people who were customarily adopted as Aboriginal, even if they have no Aboriginal biological descent. Mm. Eventually, he won his freedom from the federal court because they found that it wasn't reasonable to conclude that he wasn't Aboriginal. They didn't expand the category, but they found that the detention was unlawful. And that prompted the Immigration Minister, Alex Hawke, to appeal the case to the High Court. So Shane Montgomery is released from detention, but the Immigration Minister then steps in and intervenes. Why? What issue did they have with this case? The Commonwealth not only objects to expanding the principle to those that don't have biological descent, as Montgomery wanted, but they're also attempting to use the case to argue that Love and Tom should be overturned. Right. So... Essentially, because of the Montgomery case and because of the Commonwealth government, this question as to whether you can deport Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander non-citizens is back on the table. What was the reaction to that from the general public, this decision by the Morrison government to bring this all back again? It was criticised as disrespectful and wrong and a significant step backwards in the recognition of Aboriginal societies by groups like the Northern Land Council and the National Native Title Council. Hi, Eddie. How's it going? Yeah, not bad. Yourself? Yeah, good, good. Thanks very much uh, for agreeing to have a chat. Yeah, no worries. I spoke to legal academic Eddie Cabillo. He's an Aboriginal man and an expert in this field. The question of Indigenous identity are deeply personal and very complex to our people. He's a former executive officer with the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Legal Service, and he has strong opinions about this case. He does not think the Morrison government should have appealed it. We continually use it as a political football. I mean, and is this really necessary to go to the High Court on such a matter? The ink hasn't even dried on the highest court in the country, and, and they've already gone back and, and trying to change the umpire's decision. He says it's a really significant case because it's one of the few times that courts aren't just applying a sort of settler law or colonial law mindset and considering things from an an Aboriginal perspective. Obviously, Love Toms was a significant advance in the relationship between the Commonwealth and Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people. You know, it's the first time the the High Court recognised the distinct legal status of uh, Indigenous people under the Constitution. We shouldn't forget that these questions are fundamentally about being Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families and and, and our efforts to um, basically survive uh, settler colonialism. Mm. You mentioned earlier that there are a few Aboriginal groups and legal organisations who are very against this appeal. How widespread was this opposition? It's not just the National Native Title Council and the Northern Land Council. It's also the Victorian government who supported the original Love and Tom's case that's intervened uh, in favour of Montgomery, saying the precedent shouldn't be overturned. And it's the Australian Human Rights Commission that's warned that giving the parliament the power to deport Aboriginal non-citizens would fundamentally affect the rights of individuals and that overturning the case may permit a larger group of Indigenous Australians to be permanently removed from Australia. 
The Human Rights Commission noted that Indigenous births are registered at lower rates than non-Indigenous, and so their suggestion was that even people entitled to Australian citizenship who can't prove they or a parent were born in Australia could be found to be aliens. Right, you can imagine that people who live in remote communities, for example, have access to less government services and may not have gotten a birth certificate or been registered properly at birth. And so is the Australian Human Rights Commission saying that these types of people could be put at risk if this case is turned over on appeal? That's a concern the Human Rights Commission has raised, that the people that can't prove their entitlement to citizenship is a much larger group than we can count. So what has happened so far with this appeal? So the appeal was heard in April. The court reserved its decision and right now we're waiting to see what they've decided. Mm. It usually takes at least a few months uh, to decide and so we would be expecting a decision any week or month now. Paul, we do have a new government. Does that change anything in regards to this case? Can't they just kind of throw it out? Yes, so... Courts will, will only hand down a decision if, if the parties are still in dispute. So it's always open to the Commonwealth, which is now, you know, the, the, the new Labor government, uh, to decide that they don't want to be fighting this. Mm. They don't want to be asking the High Court anymore to overturn Love and Toms. And some people have asked them to do that, such as Green Senator Lydia Thorpe. Guardian Australia understands that since they've come to office, The Labor government has asked for legal advice about the visa status of non-citizen non-aliens, but it's not clear whether they're getting advice about withdrawing the case. Mm. In opposition, the Shadow Home Affairs Minister, Christina Keneally, said that the government should abide by the decision, that is, respect the Love and Tom's precedent. But in government, Labor have been non-committal. So it's unclear whether the new Labor government will intervene in this case. If they do nothing and they wait for the appeal to run its course, what could that look like, Paul? What could happen from here? Well, if Love and Tom's is overturned, the Migration Act requires that non-citizens who, if they don't have visas, to be taken back into detention. If the only reason that you were let out is because this precedent exists and it gets shredded, then unless they're granted visas, they're going to be taken back into detention. It's sad they're still fighting fighting this in, in court, and they'll probably do the same to my case too. We've still got to fight through, and um, you know, uh, we can't give up. We can't give up. So Jack and the dozen or so others who've been released may go back into immigration detention. Yeah, man, I've just just got to just got to try and get through to do the best I can, look after my family. Yeah, it's, it's still a struggle now, like you know, anxiety, stress, and all that. So if this appeal is successful, Jack and others are most likely going back into immigration detention. Is that the end of the road for them or are there other avenues that would prevent them from being deported? Well, the government has the power to grant uh, visas. The, the government could grant Jack Hobson and Shane Montgomery and all, and all the others visas so that they aren't deported. But if that precedent doesn't exist, then there's no legal requirement for the Home Affairs Department to collect information about whether or not people are Aboriginal. As a result, we are going to see more cases crop up like this of Aboriginal non-citizens taken into detention and possibly also deported. Right, so even if they intervene on Jack's case and a bunch of the cases we're already aware of right now, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander non-citizens could still get caught in this system going forward. Is that right, Paul? Exactly. I mean, it 
you're relying on the minister of the day to intervene and give a visa to a person rather than, you know, creating this legal obligation for the Home Affairs Department not to detain them in the first place. And so there's just a lot less protection under the law. Considering the backlash so far to this appeal and the fact that Labor hasn't committed to doing anything on it so far, is this case a risk to the new government's reputation? I think in a lot of difficult issues that Labor has inherited from the Morrison government, there's a temptation to just sort of let the chips land where they fall and then blame the Morrison government for it. And it's true that the Albanese government didn't start this case, but they've been in power for almost a month now. The High Court hasn't said when they're going to hand down the decision. So there's been weeks for them to reevaluate whether or not to get involved and to withdraw this case. So if and when this decision is handed down, if it does tear up the Love and Tom's precedent, I think it would be fair for people to judge that the main fault or responsibility for that is with the Morrison government for launching the appeal. It'll cause significant distress and distrust in, 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 in our communities towards um, not only government, but to the judicial system as well. But the Albanese government does have an opportunity now to prevent that happening. You know, we're talking about um, Uluru and, and, and um, treaties and, and all of this sort of stuff. I mean, how can Indigenous people take things seriously when these are the continued um, actions that governments take in regards to our rights? And they will be judged also if they don't take that opportunity up. That was Paul Karp, a political reporter for Guardian Australia. You can read all of his reporting on this case at theguardian.com, including his latest piece titled Albanese Government Urged to End Legal Fight Over Power to Deport Aboriginal People. we link to that on the full story page as well. This episode was produced by Karishma Lusria and Miles Herbert. Sound design and mixing by Daniel Simo. Additional assistance by Lorena Allam. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Martignoni, Gabrielle Jackson and me, Laura Murphy-Oates. This is actually my last episode hosting Full Story for a couple of weeks while I take a bit of a break, but Jane Lee is going to be stepping in while I'm away. I'll catch you then. <laughs>